And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021, and I have my good friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you today, Pam? I'm wonderful, Rich, but I'm looking outside and seeing lots of clouds after this beautiful weekend. It's kind of sad to see clouds come back. I know, but spring is right around the corner. You see the buds on the trees and a few flowers, tulips and things coming up. So it's going to be here before you know it. I can't wait. And I know the allergies are all here as well. So a lot of sinus headaches going around. (laughs) I bet. Uh, Speaking of headaches and COVID and everything uh, the last year, um, it, I, I checked before, um, the interview today and today is the E-Town Lowdown 60th COVID related interview. Our first was on March 21st of last year with, uh, chamber president, John Quigley. And then three days later, uh, it will be a year tomorrow. Our first interview with you on March 24th. So I want to thank you for the 35 interviews you've given us in the last year. Oh, you're so welcome. We need balloons and confetti. Yay, 35! <laughs> well, poor you having to talk to me. And it, I figured it out. It's been somewhere around 15 hours of interviews that you've uh, had to endure with me asking you um, not-so-intelligent questions. So thank you for your time over the last year. I really appreciate it. Oh, you are so welcome. And actually, I, I never expected it would go this long, but it's been a pleasure. You do ask very good questions, and I think it's been very good for our community. So thank you for doing all this, because it takes a lot of time on your part to do this, and I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to do it, so uh, you're welcome. So could you give us a quick update on uh, your patient census as it relates to COVID? Absolutely. So last week, we had 11 positive patients with two on vents and two awaiting results. And this week we've gone up a little bit again to 16 positive patients with one on event and nobody awaiting results. But the good thing is last week we had 174 deaths and this week we have 174 deaths. So there's been no deaths over the week and I always think that is a great thing to, to celebrate. That is something to celebrate. Yeah, really good news. And DuPage County went from 79,010 positive patients last week to 80,121 positive patients. They went from 1,298 deaths to 13,008 deaths. The state went from 1,210,000 positive patients to 1,230,000 positive patients with an increase of from 23,216 deaths to 23,379 deaths. And for the good news is we had had 1,598 discharges and we have had now 1,618 discharge and continue to have a 97% recovery rate. Well, despite the fact that you've got a few more patients, uh, the rest of the numbers look like they're uh, on the better side than they have been, right? 
Yeah, they're good things. There is one thing, though, I do want to say before we get into the questions is um, we have seen uh, two at Elmhurst, two employees that have been fully vaccinated who have come down with COVID. Now, uh, that's not a large number. Um, there was also three at Edward Hospital, so it's a total of five. And when you think it's a 95% uh, coverage rate that, you know, you would expect a lot more. But those two employees uh, here had been with family members that um, came up positive with COVID. And it just goes to reinforce that even if you are fully vaccinated, you need to continue your social um, hygiene responsibilities. So wearing a mask and, and keeping your hands clean and keep keeping distance because you still could be one of the small percentage that does get COVID. Now, the good news is if you do get COVID, usually you have very, very mild symptoms and not a difficult uh, course of treatment. So that is the one good thing of being fully vaccinated and getting COVID is that your symptoms are very mild. But I just want to reinforce to people that you do want to make sure that you continue to wear your mask and you continue to think about if somebody else could be positive that you could catch it from them. Now, um, do you know if those five employees did um, have mild symptoms as opposed to more severe symptoms? Yes, they had very mild symptoms. Great. Um, one thing that you've mentioned a lot, especially over the last six or seven months, is uh, that ER visits had been down. And I know you, uh, you've you opined on why that might be. And one of the reasons you said might be that many of the local sports uh, were not playing, whether it be high school or or local colleges. And now that there seems to be some more athletic activity going on and the state's moved back into phase four for a while. Uh, is that starting to increase in terms of ER visits? Yeah, the ERs are starting to come up a little bit, but not nearly where they were before. I wonder why that is. You, th you think it's uh, people going to, to urgent care instead or something? I think that's a potential. Uh, there's a lot more urgent cares. There's a lot more walk-in clinics. And I think people are just choosing not to go to an emergency department if they don't absolutely have to be admitted to a hospital. So if you were to look at, you know, the last month or two uh, versus a year ago, that, that same period, uh, what is your activity in terms of elective procedures? How does it compare? So just um, thinking about February a year ago and February this year, I can, I can give you some numbers. So for surgical cases, which are both inpatient and outpatient, I can't tell you if they're elective or not, but just overall surgical cases. In uh, February of, of 20, we had one, 1,029 for that month, and in February of 21, we had 1,044. Now, that's a 1% increase, but um, inpatient surgeries went from 401 down to 349, and outpatient surgeries went from 628 up to 695. So we had an 11% increase in outpatient and a 13% decrease in inpatient surgeries. Uh, the, uh, the other part of that is that a lot of the surgeries that used to be inpatient are now classified as outpatient. 
Um, and I think part of it is a lot of people that were waiting for some of their surgeries have now decided to start doing them, and so we're getting those. But it, people don't want to go inpatient still, and we are um, still low in our inpatient surgical volume. In terms of emergency departments, because we had just spoke about that, last year in February we had 6,194 emergency room visits. And this year in February, we had 4,451, so a 28% decrease. So of those emergency room visits, this last year, 930 of them became inpatients, and this year only 766, so an 18% decrease in those that became inpatients. And then those that went home outpatient, 5,264 did, and this year, 3,685. So a 30% drop in the month of February of those who would have been treated and gone home uh, didn't come in and get treated in the emergency room. I recently had uh, a reason to visit the hospital non-emergency, um, but I noticed that not all the, the uh, entrances were open. Is that still the case? And if so, when might that change and go back to normal? <laughs> I know you always want me to have a crystal ball. <laughs> so you're right. The entrances are not all open because we still have to screen people coming into the hospital. Um, we are still limiting people in the hospital, and those are all still for safety reasons. Until we have herd immunity and until everybody, as many people as necessary, get vaccinated, and there's less and less um, instances of COVID transmissions, we will have to screen people. But we did move from having it at the east entrance back to having it at the main entrance. And, um, you know, it's just easier for people to get around the hospital from the main entrance rather than having to walk a long distance from the east entrance. So we made that switch um, probably about a month ago. So can you give us an update on what your current visitor policies are? I know they've changed several times during the pandemic. And um, if they're not back to normal, um, will that eventually go back to normal? Or do you think there'll be a new normal and, and we'll never get back to the way we were? So again, I don't have a crystal ball, but my, my thoughts on this are um, we truly believe that having care partners and visitors in the hospitals really helps the patient. So as an organization, we are going to do everything we can to try to get it back to normal, but it is not back to normal yet. But it has improved. So that, you know, we keep pushing. And we're a little ahead of the other hospitals because this is so important to us. So for non-COVID patients, we allow one visitor at a time, but there used to be it was one person identified and only that one person could ever come in, and now it is unlimited visitors may visit. It's just only one at a time. So somebody can come in, see their loved one, leave, and have their next loved one come in after them. So that's for all non-COVID patients. Before, for COVID patients, there was no visitors. Now for COVID patients, we are allowing one visitor who um, needs to schedule the visit, and so it's for a limited amount of time, but we do allow one visitor for COVID patients. And uh, we're evaluating when we, when we can increase the number of visitors, and we are in the process of increasing for our family birthing center from one, one consistent care partner to having that one consistent care partner plus one additional visitor, and that can be any number of them, just one at a time. So that'll be a lot of um, improvement to people feeling like they're supported in the hospital with their loved ones. Do COVID uh, patient visitors 
need to have more PPP than just masks? Uh, yes, they have a lot more than just masks, and we that's one of the reasons why we have limited it to one and during certain times because we have to train them on how to put all the PPE on and how to take it all off safely because you don't want to contaminate yourself by taking it off in a way that you touch things and then get contaminated. So we are very careful with the visitor. I know we used to uh, discuss testing quite a bit, and I know that uh, if EE Health provided a a COVID test that are needed to be a doctor's order, does that still uh, remain the case? Yes, you need a physician's order to get uh, a COVID test. But currently, you know, if you go to a walk-in clinic or the immediate care, they can get you it without a problem. So, um, and and I think, uh, you know, these tests are really reliable, so people should be comfortable getting the test. You know, I was uh, driving down uh, Roosevelt Road the other day, and I noticed a sign that, you know, had like an 800 number for for cheap COVID tests. Is there anything people should be watching out for uh, in terms of tests that might be not very reliable compared to what they would get at a hospital? Um, yes. So if you go to anything that is a well-known lab, then you'd, I don't think you have to worry about the quality of them. But, you know, some people do not actually use stuff that is from well-known labs, and then there is some fear that either the collection process would not be um, accurate to being able to determine if there is the COVID antigen or, um, you know, just the quality of how they run the test. So, you, you know, like if you're in a lab and if the test, there's like quality control measures, and so if the test doesn't meet the quality control measures, we re-swab re, um, the person and, and don't take that test. So there's a lot of quality control metrics that, that happen within a uh, approved lab. So maybe we're okay as long as we don't go to the back of the truck that's at North Avenue and 83 <laughs> where they sell the championship T-shirts after a Chicago championship, right? Yeah, that might be a, a good idea not to use that. <laughs> Can you give us a quick update on the percentage of uh, hospital employees who are vaccinated? So we moved up from 69% to 70%, so we are slowly growing in, in the number of hospital employees vaccinated, and we're very excited about that, and we continue to try to educate our employees and have um, them meet with physicians just so that they have all the facts so that they can um, make a better decision in terms of vaccination. We are not mandating vaccination, but we are encouraging heavily everybody to get vaccinated. I've actually read some articles lately that indicated that uh, – a lot of hospitals aren't really keeping good track of what percentage of their employees have been vaccinated, and some are barely over 50% in their estimation. So I think 70% sounds pretty high compared to what I've I've heard some hospitals have, and that that's not uh, that's not uh, scientific. That's just my educated guess. <laughs> yes, it takes a lot of work to get to 70%. So we're we're pretty happy, but we still want to go. Our goal is 80% right now. So I've asked you a lot about side effects after receiving the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine and uh, tried to paint you in a corner about age and you say it doesn't seem like there's there's any correlation, but are there a correl is there a correlation between um, side effects and which dose you had? Because it seems like when I talk to people, most people, not all, but most don't have a problem with the first dose but I hear quite a few that are having a problem with a second dose, and I wonder if there's any science behind that or if that's just hearsay. 
No, uh, we had heard originally that the second dose, there might be a more side effects. And, and that would be expected because you have more built up in your system, but they're not serious side effects. They're more like things like headaches, body aches, fatigue um, with the second dose. So that you're right, you got that. that more people get those kind of side effects with the second dose. Can you give us an update on the number of uh, patients, whether they be employees or non-employees that are fully vaccinated, have been by EE Health, and then how many have received at least one vaccination? So the total number of individuals receiving at least one dose of vaccine are 31,492. The total number of individuals fully vaccinated at this point here is 22,000. And the total number of EE Health employees vaccinated is 6,000. Well, that's climbing slowly, right? Yep, slowly climbing. That's good news. So um, I know every week uh, you find out what your allotment of vaccine will be, and I I think that filters down through the county. So my question is, is there a a team of people that um, that include a bunch of professionals from different providers in the area that figure out that allotment, or is it just dictated to each provider by the county? Well, we work with the county, and, um, you know, the county has the ultimate say, depending on how many vaccines they get. They're not always getting getting the amount of vaccines they would like. But um, so we put in a weekly request based on what we think we're going to need, and um, and then they return to us whatever allocation they choose to turn to us based on what they got from the state. So um Sometimes, you know, and they want to make sure we're going to use it. So if they don't think we've used it the way they want us to use it, then they're not going to give it to us. Um, And sometimes they don't always have all the accurate information. So we've had some misunderstandings and not gotten some. Um, But we have been getting them more regularly lately. And, you know, they do work with us and listen to us. It's just they're not getting what they need as well. Do you have any uh, idea of what what supply you're going to receive in the next week or so or what you received this past week? Uh, I don't have the exact number. I'm sure Dr. Mazir could have told you the exact number, but um, we, we got enough first-dose vaccines this this week. So we I know we had about 2,000, a little more than 2,000 of the Pfizer and like 1,400 of the Moderna. So it was a, it was a good amount. Um, and we keep putting in our request to the county. We turned our request for next week in yesterday, and we'll know by the end of the week what we're going to get next week. Have you received any shipments of Johnson & Johnson yet? No, we have not. And we keep working on a plan on how we're going to administer it, but, you know, we just have not received any, and so we haven't finalized our plan yet. So normally my fi- follow-up would be, when do you think you'll get them? But I'm guessing the answer is you're not sure, correct? The answer is, as soon as we hear, we will get them. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, you know, we all know people that are afraid of needles. So my question is, do you think there are people that are not getting vaccinated, not because they're afraid of the vaccine, but they're afraid of the needle? Well, it could always be true, but I don't think that's the reason. Because most people who have gotten the vaccine have felt like it was painless when they've gotten the injection. So, you know, hopefully that's not a reason for people not to get the vaccine. It's not one of those injections that is really painful at the time of the injection. Um, It may be sore later, but 
not when you're getting it. So hopefully not. I know you've mentioned that you had previously identified somewhere around 150 or 160,000 EE health patients that were eligible either uh, in group 1A, 1B, or 1B plus. Um, and then, of course, the governor's opened up um, group 1C as of Monday the 29th. Do you have a sense for how many more patients will become eligible once that 1C opens up on Monday? No, I don't have the, the numbers. We're still working through 1B and the 1B expanded population who are at the higher risk. So we're not going to open up to 1C and, and won't figure that out until we've gotten all of the ones that we are worried about in the 1B and the 1B expanded. We did open to 1B expanded. We have got dropped all of the um, orders into EPIC for those patients that, um, that are, meet the criteria and we're hoping that they will get their vaccination. And, um, and once we get through those, we'll start looking at the 1Cs. I would imagine that 1C group is going to be pretty large, though, right? I would imagine, yes. So you probably have another big number added to your 150 or 160,000. Oh, one last question I want to ask you about is I've read about um, up in a week or so, March 30th is designated as Doctor's Day, and I know that the Elmer's Memorial Hospital Foundation uh, is looking for donors to recognize uh, a favorite physician at the hospital. Can you tell me about that and how people might get more information about that? Absolutely, yes. It's, it's, uh, Dr. Day is March 30th. We uh, have been celebrating with the physicians all week, although the physicians are kind of sad because we usually celebrate with us getting together and doing different games and celebrating March Madness with them um, and, and doing massages and other things. And because of COVID, now this is the second year in a row that we've had to cancel that. But in terms of patients, uh, grateful patients or people in the community that want to recognize physicians, which is always, you know, a really wonderful thing because our physicians get so excited when they get recognized by their patients. So through the Elmer's Memorial Hospital Foundation, grateful patients can make a contribution to celebrate their exceptional physician. The, the uh, donors in the community need to indicate what who this specific physician is that you want your donation to recognize. And the foundation, once they have that information, will go and acknowledge the physician on your behalf and let them know um, that they were recognized and the donation was made in their name. You can make that donation um, either online through www.eehealth.org uh, forward slash emhf-doctors-day or you can call the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation at 331 221-0388. Again, that's 331-221-0388. And, you know, we cannot thank our doctors enough for their passion and absolute commitment to improving the lives of our patients. And donating in their honor is, is just a great way to demonstrate that gratitude and, um, and let them know the impact they've made on your health and wellness um, and the health and wellness of our community, especially over this last year. Well, and I know the need is uh, larger than ever uh, at the foundation to uh, help the hospital continue to provide the the, uh, the great professional services they do, and it's uh, it's been a tough year financially, I know, for uh, a lot of folks and uh, hospitals as well. So uh, thank you for spending time with us again today, 
and uh, I hope people will uh, consider donating. Again, that number is 331-221-0388. Thanks so much, Pam. Thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.